0: Today is Sunday, February 25th, and this is Celtics Speed on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Evan Valenti, solo again this week. Episode 560 features our, well, one of our favorites, the athletic Jared Weiss. And today's No, I'm your
1: favorite. I'm your favorite.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll just, you know, it features the favorite, the athletic, we Jared Weiss. Today's show is powered by FanDuel. Get $150 in bonus bets. The $5 winning bet at fanduel.com slash Boston. Welcome inside Celtics beat everybody. Evan Valenti back with you again this week. Adam Kaufman will be back next week. Uh, you know, sometimes when we have children, things come up, important things come up, going to see them win the championship, that's really important stuff. So a a good luck to the Kaufman family. Uh, I don't know which one is going for the championship in terms of basketball, but one of them is, and those are the things you don't want to miss as a dad. I totally get it. Evan Valenti-Solo, along with Jared Weiss from The Athletic. Jared, welcome to the show you used to host uh back in the day. It's good to have you on.
1: Can I technically be a co-host today since there's only two of us? Yeah. Uh- I think Hoffman was only rooting for his kid to make the championship game, just so he could avoid having to do the job this weekend. I'm pretty Probably. sure that's what happened here. We'll,
0: we'll we'll make you the co-host on the show. That's not going to be an issue. We'll send you the check in the
1: mail. Not going to be a problem. That's all. It, it's all I want. I want an actual physical check mailed to me, like yeah. it's 1998. I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. We're not doing not doing Cash App. We're not doing Venmo. We're gonna legitimately put a we're gonna put a check in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and we're gonna put it in the mail, and it's gonna get to you in just a few days.
1: Um, you know what's funny? Wait, sure. hold on real quick. Last night at Madison Square Garden in the back room where Joe Missoula, right, where all the players were doing the press conference, yeah. for some reason there was a giant check just sitting next to the podium. And we have no idea what it was doing there. It, it, like it's, I wanted to take it and cash it. I probably should have, but it was Does like it a make, check was, for like $7,000. Was,
0: was there a number figure on it?
1: I don't know. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's one of those BS like, you know, in, on the back there was no endorsement line. Like, there was nothing real to it. But um, I think if a check is gigantic it's technically legal tender, if I'm correct for my banking yeah. days. I've, yeah, I've so.
0: always wanted a giant check. Like, everybody I think wants a giant check. Like, it's like Happy Gilmore. is like, hey, when do I get a check like the size of that guy over there? It's like, you gotta finish the top ten, Happy. That's how it works.
1: I'm not a golf but- expert, but that sounds right.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it, again, everybody wants that like, <laughs> publishers' warehouse or whatever. They come up with their huge check that you've somehow won a cajillion dollars because you subscribe to a magazine or whatever. I, I, anyway, we're getting way off track. The
1: nineties were so weird. Like, how the, is was that a thing?
0: Nineties were fantastic. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm kidding, by the way. Uh, Same although, thing. Are we any better off? I don't even know. <laughs>
1: are we just... No, the nineties. The nineties were the only good decade in American history. Every other one has been marred by war.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Well, that's, yeah. that's a subject for a different podcast And, I feel and like, now well,
1: we're at war with the narratives about the Celtics. Well, the we are, there
0: you go. What a transition. And because we're going to get to one of those of later, uh, later on in the show, uh, as we discuss, uh, the MVP candidacy potentially of Jason Tatum. And, and, I, and I'm not going to get too into the weeds on that because everybody spent a kajillion hours on that this week, but there, I think there's a unique part of it that Jared has outlined for us in a really great piece he wrote for the athletic this week. But we'll get to that shortly because we're coming off a, a win at the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, 116-102. Uh, Celtics take out an undermanned a Knicks team, shot the lights out. I think at one point, what was in the third quarter, they were 8-10 from three. It was just like, okay, this is just going to – it's just not going to be the Knicks night tonight with the way this is going. But one of the things that I, I do think we can discuss about this game is one of the – I talked about this with Brian Bear on his podcast uh about a month ago. And he asked me what team I I guess I'm afraid of the most. And at the time, the Knicks were playing extremely well. He we just got OG and Anobi. Um, you know, their net rating for the month of J- January was, like, ridiculous. I forget. It was, like, plus 21 or something like that. But it was an outrageous run for the Knicks that month. How is that possible? Yeah, it was – It was. I don't remember the number exactly, but I remember being like, holy – holy god, it's a little nuts. And then, you know – as everything happens, like the Knicks, just everything falls apart. They're missing a couple of guys. But one of the things is I like this Knicks team. Just as a basketball fan, because they play tough every night. They might not be the most talented team every single night. They're going to play teams that are better than them, but they abs- absolutely compete for all 48 minutes. And that's the thing for me between the physicality in New York, their offensive rebounding. And just the fact that Tibbs is, is always got some team playing a little bit of, uh, you know, ahead of their skis, so to speak. Can you, after a game like last night, and again, the Celtics blew it out, opened in the fourth quarter. They were up 20 at one point, so it wasn't a complete, you know, um, like tightly contested contest with the entire thing. But there's anything from last night that you can take away as like, hey, like if I'm the Celtics, I'm worried about X or I'm worried about Y or worried about Z?
1: On the Celtics, I'm worried that I'm so good that it's not going to be fun when I sweep my way to the championship. There you go. Um, you know oh. what's funny? I mean, no, I'm joking, but. What's funny is I was thinking about it was last night a close game because the Celtics win games so handily nowadays that we don't, we don't see a lot of games go down to the wire. Like there aren't a lot of crunch times. It feels like it's been a while. I don't know. Maybe it's just the all-star break in the Chicago similar game of like, it was close. I think at halftime, right. They were down at halftime and then killed it in the third quarter. Same formula here. Again, the Celtics have been so good in second halves lately That we haven't really seen them get tested a lot, and I think malaise is the one thing that can creep up on them. I mean, obviously injuries, but like we can say that about every team. It's not that's a universal thing. Like whatever, it's malaise. It's that they start, they kind of like they start to do what Denver did last year, and you know, like they they're doing so well, they don't have to really crush it late in the season. Now Denver worked out just fine. And they, they turn it back on. And Boston certainly can do that. The one thing that's different with Denver, though, is they have a one-man system. So, I mean, not completely, obviously, but, like, they're a team that Yokoji's a turn it on, and then everything works around them fine. The Celtics are much more reliant on all five of their main guys running the offense. They have to really be on a string. They have to be together. They have to all play with that sense of awareness of, like, always be paying attention to what's going on so they can like take little advantages and really poke at them. That's how their system works. It's not that reliant on Tatum to really take over. They need Tatum and Brown to really dominate their moments and like be smart in their moments, but it can't just be like Tatum plays great and everything is fine. Like it's on everybody. And they're, they're so insanely elites and dominant like statistically they're at a level of dominance. that's like, a pretty high outlier for the last 15 years or so. But they, when they come back down to earth, I think that's still the best team in the NBA or like pretty close to it. So that's, what's good for them is they built, they've been so good and so consistent. It's given them this cushion. I think the thing is that like their elite record and elite net rating, like they have the 10th best net rating in NBA history right now, um, which is just ridiculous. Um, and, you know, they're right up there with the 08 Celtics, which is like, you know, one of the great teams, uh, that we've seen in modern history. Uh, they, that gap doesn't really matter as much in the postseason. Like when you get to the conference finals, you're going to have a decent advantage over your opponent as long as you're playing, you know, at your level. And then obviously they can have their best level. And that's when they're able to start getting, you know, five game sweeps, stuff like that. Uh, five-game wins or sweeps, maybe a five-game sweep but they change the rules. But so, I mean, the Celtics are just – they're in such a great position that there's not a lot to really worry about. Because I think that they're also – the way that they play, they they should be able to be fine if they go through major cold shooting streaks and have terrible shooting luck like they had against Miami last year. I think they're built to actually with that now.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because everybody seems to overreact to like one loss – this year, like if they if they just you know they have a a bad game against the the Clippers at home, and the Clippers are an excellent team. I'm not saying they're not, um, but it's like okay, they're great. No, you know, guess what? Other teams play well sometimes. Like you know, I don't know what I mean to do. I, it's to me, it's interesting to just to listen to the, some of the discourse around this team, and then hear from people that are you know consistently working finding nuance, finding stats, you know, talking to people that actually work. Like the people that cover the team on a routinely basis say, okay, guys, relax, calm down. Everything's going to be okay. As long as they're healthy, this team's going to go really far in the playoffs. And if they win the title, awesome. Uh, They might not because sometimes that's just how life goes. But they're as equipped as any team in the league to win. uh, Either conference doesn't matter. They have more talent than the majority of the NBA teams out there. And so I find it interesting because, like, the Knicks are a team that plays, you know, again, I, as I said, head of their skis. We have a Bucks team that's starting to figure things out right now. You have uh, in the Eastern Conference a team with Philadelphia who is also banged up and has a, a really excellent player. You know, we'll find out if he actually plays in the end in Joel Embiid. But it's just like none of that even matters. It almost feels like none of that matters. If Boston is healthy and they're playing the right way, they're just going to beat everybody in the Eastern Conference and we'll see who the West, who survives the gauntlet of awesomeness in the West and whoever it is, she's to have a pretty great shot against them. And it, what, it feels kind of boring though. Like, right? Doesn't that feel like uh, the rest of the season almost just is about health primarily than maybe yeah. seeding. And then that's really it. Like it, that, that's all we have to focus on for the rest of the year.
1: I mean, they can't lose first place. They're up eight games and there's what, like 24 left or something. Don't tell the
0: Red Sox that, that they can't lose an eight game lead. Not a long time. Well, maybe they
1: start having chicken and beer in the locker room every single day. They could change things. But like, yeah, they can't lose first place at this point. They would have, it would be a, like, they would have to go probably like below 500, I would imagine for them to, like, it's not going to happen. They're they're, less, you know. And of course, someone's gonna run this clip like someday after Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Chris i all get hurt. It's like, yeah, sure, okay. okay. maybe my take will be wrong. We don't need to acknowledge that. No. They are great. And the thing is, they have to win the championship because they're the super team in the NBA. Statistically, I test all of it. They're this year's super team. When one when the you know, when there's a when you're when you have an NBA season where there is a super team, there is a team that is just so clearly above the rest because they have a depth and star power. They're operating beautifully. They don't have tension. They look happy and they're having fun. When those teams blow it, it's like, it's, it's it feels like unforgivable. Like, remember when Dallas had, was it, did they have like 67 wins or 66 wins and they lost in the first round to the We Believe Warriors? Am I remembering that one right? Yeah. Like, that yeah. was crazy. And I think we forget about how ridiculous that was because we love the We Believe Warriors. Like, that was one of my favorite teams growing up. But that team also squandered Dirk. Was that Dirk's MVP year? Right? Be funny if I'm getting this all wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm remembering everything right. Uh,
0: I think uh, the, I think it makes sense. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. He it was yeah. the so, Steve Nash Dirk Nowitzki like off for the MVP for like three straight years mm-hmm. in a row, and Dirk finally got one.
1: So you know, like that—that that was a you know, and Dallas eventually won the championship, so you know, made up for it, but. They had, I think they had more upside to their window while Celtics have a level of what's the opposite of patience? I'm just going to say that instead of finding the word yeah, with their situation. Guys. So we're, yeah. we're,
0: we're not totally on top of everything. What,
1: right? what is the word for the opposite of patience? Imp- I mean, impatience is too easy. So yeah, we're gonna, come up with a better, somebody come up with a better word and tweet that. At me. Yeah. And they're long in the tooth at this point, despite Tatum turning Is he turning 25 or 26? Is that 20-month? And so, you know, Jalen and Centric is prime now. KP's in his prime. But these guys have been doing this for a while. And they're about to pay JT an insane amount of money. And Drew is technically getting free agency. And he's Drew is one day older than me. He was born June 12, 1990. And so, uh, I I know I'm... I I don't think I can handle another playoff run at this point. And so... The point, point being is, like, Drew will will see a decline at some point in the next couple of years. Their window is essentially a two-year window with the way the second apron is set up. And then if they still believe in it after that two-year window, they can continue to push that open. But if they haven't won a championship in these next two years, really, if they haven't won both championships in these next two years, I don't know if they're going to want to keep investing. So the time is now for them. They should be held to that standard. And people should be very happy because they are – Fulfilling that standard at a level where they have the 10th best net rating in NBA history right now. They're doing pretty fine. Yeah, I
0: totally agree. And when you look at a couple of things and, uh, we're going to get into a little bit. Um, there was a great, um, tw- well, quote from Missoula last night and we're going to dovetail this into something else, but you tweeted it out. And I just love the, I, the, the fact that he said it. Um, because Tatum like wasn't outrageous from like the field last night. He didn't have. You know his typical like thirty, forty, fifty point game that sets the internet on fire. Yet, yeah, Missoula last night on Tatum. This is via uh your Twitter page here, so um, I'm I'm doing the best I can in terms of reading what you've put out there. It's more to this quote. I'm sure that's awesome, but in terms of what he put out there, quote: "I thought today was a beautiful display of basketball from Jason. It will go overlooked and won't go in the most valuable category. Hats off to him for knowing that's a way for us to win." And it feels like that, along with your piece, which we'll talk about more in a second it's like the next level of the Jason Tatum experience, right? Him being able to manipulate games without scoring the basketball. And there are some quotes in the next segment that we'll do um that I want to highlight. But I, again, last night you look at defensively, you know, it's it, picking on Jalen Brunson as, as best he could in terms of trying to slow him down. Jalen has had a terrific season. Reminds me so much of the Isaiah Thomas season where he finished fifth in MVP voting. Um, just a, a guy who's, Feels like he's just has every superpower in the world right now, and just going against everybody. And he's just if, if, the finishing, the shooting, the leadership, everything. It's just awesome. But Tatum was like, "All right, now we're done with this," and he just shut him down for a little while. We saw that same display against Shea, although in a loss against Oklahoma City Thunder a couple months ago. Um, you're seeing Jason Tatum as a facilitator, right, instead of just a scorer. That quote last night, again on the 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 uh, the highlight of your piece, like just illustrates to me that Tatum is jumping up and in discovering that the best version of him is one that doesn't score a ton all the time. And to see it on display recently, I think has been amazing. And And I think someone like you who's been there from his first minutes in the NBA to where he is now, it must be like, not like weird, but it must be just amazing to see the evolution of Tatum in real time. Am I wrong on that?
1: No, it's, uh, I mean, this is what I saw for him years ago. And I I think I, I would have been really surprised and impressed if he got to this point at all in his career. I think this, where he is today is probably the best case scenario I had for him in year two. And this was, I think by year two, I, this was what I was projecting for him to be. And the, I think the fascinating part is that there's still a lot more that he can do to get better. So that then you're wondering like is he going to become the best player in the NBA or is is he going to become you know on that pantheon level of can he become a multiple time champion multiple time MVP where we're looking at him the way we look at Jokic now the way we look at Giannis now of like these were guys who actually were transcendent players that reshaped the NBA and with the irony being that Tatum is kind of like the like classic modern prototype for a wing while well, those guys are unicorn players who literally reshape the league tatum yeah i I really like that quote from joe because it illustrates both why tatum won't win mvp and why tatum is the mvp is a finals mvp player now and is different than where he was two years ago and you know you alluded to it he and i sat down at all star break and we had a conversation that i thought was really fascinating about just how he is change the way that he views himself and the way that he views the sport and how it correlates to winning. And with him, the reason why he won't win MVP is because a night like this one against the Knicks where he was a great playmaker and just did a great job of reading the game and bringing the game what it needs, he didn't put up a triple-double the way that Jokic does every night, including on those kind of games. Or the way Shea does where like Shea still is putting up insane numbers even on the nights where he's... Taking a step back and being a facilitator. Because of the team that Tatum's on, he is he's not going to be putting those numbers up. Um, his potential assists, his secondary assists are very, very good. They're you know, they're up there in, I think, you know, pretty close to that stratosphere of where the other top playmaking wings are. It's not going to be like with Doncic and Jokic, who are you know the best point guards in the NBA who and it's a heliocentric offense that runs for them, just like the opportunity and usage they have is just through the roof. And Tatum couldn't run that kind of system. Like, they're better individually. And I don't really know how you... Like, I don't know how you balance the... Jokic and Doncic are better individually. And they, they therefore, do more individually. So they're more valuable. With, like, Tatum doesn't do those things. But he does other things better than they do. And the role doesn't call for him to do it. But it's like, I guess at the end of the day, if the role doesn't call for you to do it, the role doesn't call for you to do it. And therefore, he's not going to be MVP. But... That doesn't matter. Like, if, if Tatum wins a championship, he will probably win MVP at some point in his career. Like, that's probably going to happen. Um, I don't think it matters to validate him anyway. And frankly, ever since he got to the league, he and I think I had this first conversation with him about it when he was like twenty. It was always about the championship. And he what I think what made it feel believable was he never he never pretended like he didn't care about being famous and being a star and being the face of the league and all that kind of stuff. And he still cares about that. But it, I think that's truly secondary to winning, piling up rings, chasing rings, trying to chase Kobe's count and MJ's count and all that kind of stuff. I think that he, you know, people were so used to be so obsessed with him emulating Kobe I think what he emulated was Kobe's success and, and winning and the rings and that image of Kobe holding the Larry O'Brien trophy with the Jeff Hamilton jacket on in the shower. Like yeah. that's the thing that he chased. He chases that moment. And if you know, if you knew Kobe, um, which I, I barely knew Kobe, but I knew a lot of, I, I knew a lot of people that knew him very well and still I'd talk about him to this day because they were so impacted by him and they like, like, his legacy and what he imparted upon people was the value of winning and the value of leading a great champion and being a part of that. And even though I think, especially in Boston, he was, because a lot of Boston fans obviously did not like Kobe Bryant for many reasons, many of them were valid. Um, they, they, they're they just biased against him and they look at him as the ball hog that he certainly was for a long time. And I, I didn't like Kobe that much when I was really young and I grew up a Celtics fan, I used to be a Celtics fan. Before I became a journalist and I thought that he was a ball hog. I didn't really like his game. And then I watched the way that he evolved with Pal Gasol and I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is, this is like peak basketball. Like this is, this is the dream wing in the NBA. And it reminded me a lot of what I loved about MJ when I was a little kid. And I think Tatum is finally embracing that. And I think he's becoming what Kobe became when they had that second championship run where he really looks at the game as, He's trying to control the game and control all other nine people on the floor. And it's for creating winning rather than just scoring himself. And that's when Kobe was truly great. And that's when Kobe won multiple championships leading the team himself. And I think that Tatum has now gone through that evolution of like, he's no longer partnered with another great player. Like he was when he was younger. And that's when Kobe got those wins with Shaq. It's like, now he has gone through all that seen through all that. And he's understanding how do I do it myself in a leadership position with a bunch of other great players.
0: Three, two, one. Quick break with Jared, or from Jared, I should say. Tell you Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get 150 bucks in bonus bets with any winning $5 bets. 150 bucks if your bet wins. Now, I've been trying to give you guys easy winners. Here's another one today, just to tell you if you listen listening to this on Sunday when this comes out. Cavs playing the Wizards today. Just take the money line. The Cavs are minus 900. Who cares? It's going to be fine. You're looking for the $150 in bonus bets. That's what we're after. So make sure you score very easily by betting on the Cleveland Cavaliers or just look for those easy money lines. Like, even like, you know, anytime anybody, basically, anytime anybody plays the Wizards, take them, the Spurs. Take the other team, the Hornets, unless they're playing the Blazers, like they are on Sunday. Take the, like just to get the hundred fifty bucks in bonus bets. Like that's that's what you're looking for. Just real quick, easy, painless. Get those buck fifty and, and rush right back into Fanduel and use the hundred fifty dollars to win yourself some more money. And you can bet all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live games, save game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit Fanduel.com/slash Boston and shoot your shot. Fanduel, the official partner of the nba 21 plus and present in massachusetts hope is here first online real money wager only ten dollar first deposit required see uh excuse me bonus issue is not withdrawable. bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt restrictions apply see terms at sportsbook.findle.com gambling helpline ma or call 800-327-5050 7 support played smart from the start gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234 yeah, there's some stuff in that piece that I really liked about how he thinks the game, right? That was, there was one in there. It's like, Hey, you know, I was just playing the game and not real. Like I'm paraphrasing here, but I was playing the game and I was just not really thinking about how it, it impacts everybody else on the floor. Like how you said, how he could impact the nine other players on the floor. He's thinking the game. He thinks about how, you know, it, he, <clears throat> him drawing a double team, getting it to Derek or getting it to Drew. To get to a wide open shooter is always going to be good for this team. He talked about the fact that he understands now that the ball will find him. You know, it's the way the basketball works. Like he's, I've been saying this for a while. He's Jason, like, dude, you're Jason Tatum. Like at the end of the shot clock, if things aren't going well, you're just going to get the ball because everybody trusts you to do something with it uh better than that they can. You know what I mean? So it's not like the ball's not going to come back and find Jason Tatum, but the trust in the teammates to always make the right play. You know, you know, having that reliance on the guy to your right and the guy to your left and the guy in the corner, this trusting the spacing and trusting the coaching and trusting everything that you've been put in a situation to succeed. And that's the stuff that I look for in terms of trying to figure out if I really believe this guy's like the face of a team or not. That's good. Again, I'm not talking like, you know, a Bradley Beal, the face of the Washington Wizards here. I'm talking about someone who's going to lead a team. And I'm not trying to take shots of Bradley Beal, but like there, there's a difference between leading the Wizards and leading, leading, the team to the, you know, to the NBA finals.
1: No, that I team was terrible. What? That team was terrible. It's fine. Yeah,
0: they're awful. Yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, it, it's, it's about the maturity, right? The, the, the fact that he understands that his impact can be in a multitude of different ways. He has to score 30, 40, 50 points a game. And that for me, along with the ruffles thing, the ruffles anecdote at the beginning of the story, where he talks about going to the gas station and finding the bag of ruffles with his face on it and buying that, like that must be a fun experience for the cashier. Uh Other than that, I thought the most illuminating part of the piece was was the fact that it just seems like he gets it, you know, like
1: yeah, everybody's been
0: waiting it. for Jason to to take this leap or whatever, and 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 you know, he talks about maybe it being fair versus unfair that he's viewed a certain type of way by the national landscape. It is what it is. But at the same time, like I'm looking at that piece and it was a great job by the way. Um, Thank at, like, you. like this is a guy who's finally understanding everything that comes with being the face of a franchise, the face of the NBA of a team that's trying to, and has a good shot to win titles. Like he's embracing everything it needs to be about that person and, and I think it's beautifully highlighted in your story. You
1: know, I, I heard him get asked a couple times cuz he did. He did a couple interviews, right? I think one was with, with Malika uh yeah, Andrews it was and like his right friend.
0: after Is that after like the, the celebrity game? It was like within that time frame. Yeah,
1: when I Yeah. It. I did not watch that game, believe it or not. No, I uh, just like I was just like Joe Missoula. I was I was forced to watch the other things because I was there, but I barely I barely watched the All Star game. I was really busy working on another story, um, and I didn't miss much. The I think in that interview was that the one where he said something like think about talking about thinking he's the best player in the world mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I I've heard a few people ask him about it since and talk about it, bring his talking points. I don't think he said. I'm the best player in the NBA right now and I'm better than the other guys. I think he was saying that my mindset is I come out there thinking I'm the best player in the world when I take the court, which is something he has said multiple times over the last couple of years. It's not a new thing. And he's talking about his frame of thinking there. I don't think he's saying like, I'm looking at the other people and saying like, I'm a better MVP candidate than this guy and that guy. He, and I think his conversation with me and the comments he had, when we asked him about it in Chicago after that game, the first game back from All Star break, he was like very clearly saying, "These other guys are amazing." He understands obviously he's not better than Jokic. Like I'm pretty sure he knows that. I think everybody knows that. I think Giannis is the only player right now that can really try to hold the candle to that. And obviously Embiid when he's healthy. Like those guys are on their own tier right now the way that they've been playing these last few years, and that's why they've won the MVPs he understands that but he still thinks he can beat those guys and that's the key and that's i think i think that's what people need to understand when he talks about being top 5 all this kind of stuff he's thinking from the frame of winning a basketball game and not about whether you dissect their games individually and determine who has the higher epm and who's contributing more it's like you can't beat jokic in that regard like it's jokic Giannis, you can't beat him in that regard. He scores 40 points, he gets 15 rebounds, and he's the best defender in the NBA a lot of the time. It's like Tatum, Tatum can do so much of what Giannis can do as far as impacting on both ends of the floor, but he's still not like Giannis. Like Giannis is a seven-foot monster who just can destroy people whenever he wants to. And Tatum knows he can't quite do that, and it's not his game. And I think the important thing for Tatum is understanding I'm not a seven-footer that can jump over the top of everybody. So I need to be smart about when I choose my spots. And it's not – winning basketball isn't about, like, I can just do whatever I want in the most important moment. It's about I can make the best decision in the most important moment. And I think generally over time in the NBA, that wins you the championship. And there's been lots of times in NBA history, especially when it's guys like MJ and LeBron, where they didn't have a good decision to make, and so they just did the unthinkable. And, you know, it's obviously Steph does that, too. And I think the best of the best always do that. And that's maybe what will separate Tatum from being a GOAT tier player like an MJ, LeBron, Steph. You know, these guys, maybe Jokic and Giannis could get there one day, but I don't know if they'll quite do that. But, like, that's fine. He doesn't have to be in that tier to still be one of the best because of the team that they have around him.
0: Yeah, isn't that refreshing? <laughs> he doesn't have to be the greatest player of all time to, to just yeah. win games and, and, and win an NBA title
1: uh, and that's because- but I do think he, I think he would love that though Like let's not, let's not get it wrong I think he would love that but I don't think it's what he's yeah. talking about when he talks about these things
0: yeah and it's also like he's had an, a, an unbelievable run of success in his life right this has been an insane ride
1: life is minute, going
0: well yeah the minute he got into to right now they've always been you know not either elite or near the top, or in the Eastern Conference Final, Like, they've just always won. And there's something that needs to be said for that. A, the fact that they just continue to win games deep into the playoffs. You know, And and again, I'll never forget the feeling I had going against LeBron in Game 7 of just like, hey, like, this is house money right now. Like, who cares? Like, this has been such a great year and a fun time. Like, I do not care if they win this game. And now there's just different... Expectations and with the way that things have gone and the team building and now here's Porzingis and here's Drew Holiday and like yeah they're stacked like as you said before in the show like this team has to win the title otherwise like it's just a complete failure and they have Sam Hauser that Sam Hauser right and and Peyton Pritchard you know Um bench guys are important too but it's like the the maturation of him to to just understand the flow of the game right to understand you know J B. You know, he starts the game. He's like the same way he's been starting the game since he came to the league. He likes to make his impact right away. His presence felt in the first quarter, you know, KP also very similar in that regard. I need to do the best I can to get them going to make sure they feel comfortable in the game. And then, you know, I'll wait out my time and and figure out what, when my perfect time is to strike. Like that's, that's the, the, that's the, like LeBron thing that LeBron figured out. And I'm not saying Tam's going to be LeBron. I'm not saying that. But you can emulate some of the things that he does in his style of play. Like, I'll never forget the the just the backlash. This is going to be a little little further back for some people. I know you remember this one. I forget the team they were playing. It might have been Golden State where LeBron had the ball in the top of the key, drove to the basket, but instead trying to get the foul, we threw out to Kyle Corver in the corner, the, one of the greatest three-point shooters in the history of basketball. And Corver missed the shot. And everybody gave LeBron a hard time because he passed instead of took the shot. So no. stupid. So that dumb. Was, that was in the at the time, and even now, and how, many years later, was the right play hundred percent of the time. He just missed the shot. That's the stuff for Tatum. That next level of like, just giving the game what it needs. And now this phrase is gonna get used a ton. I've already been I'm trying to find different ways to phrase this, but like being within the moment, knowing exactly what to do at the right time. Like that's the stuff that that came out in that piece to me, where I'm like, you know, holy. Shit, like this is really happening. Like this is like that that next level of greatness that he needs to to get to to be again not an all time great, but to still be like in terms of his generation, like one of the best two way players in the league. And yeah. and for me, I always look at like the All NBA thing. I kind of agree with Simmons when you when you step back and look at okay the All NBAs for you know for the year, you're gonna find Jason Tatum first team All NBA a lot of times in a row, which signifies that he's one of the most impactful players the game has and and will continue to 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 put that feather in his cap but yeah for me i feel like the 19 year old the quiet kid to who he is now like very well spoken and again i know he's not like giving a ton of interviews and and oh but like these little ones where you can get him aside and actually get him to open up a little bit are very important and i'm seeing the next step and it's it's awesome to me
1: you know, one thing you kind of mentioned quickly um, that I, well, I thought was one of the most interesting quotes from our interview was we were he brought this up. Actually, I forget what exactly the framing was, but he said that he felt like it was unfair that he was held to a higher standard than a lot of his peers. And he alluded to the early success. And it's something that I've written about a lot is Tatum has only been running this scheme for what, like three ish years now basically i guess like the bubble was kind of when that really started because kemba like his his health had fallen off so it was really on jt at that point mm-hmm. and it's just fascinating because he's been in the league for seven years now i feel like so it's really been about three ish maybe this is the fourth year where he's been like in a real driver's seat and it's really only been about three years of him really being in the driver's seat and so because he's been in the conference finals almost every year of his career it's just like insane to think about. How many years has he not been in the conference finals in, in his career? Like twice. One? Twice? There was a year where they were in the first they lost in the first round. And then what I can't remember the other one. I think like they lost to Atlanta at one point or something like that. I don't they know. But,
0: to they lost to the Nets, and I think that's the and then they That was the first round, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I wanna say so, yeah, keep going, doesn't matter.
1: The point, the point is they're pretty good, right? We can't even remember when they weren't in the conference finals. And so because, so because of that we've seen Tatum fail or not be quite good enough to win at the high stage so many times it creates this impression that he can't do it. But like he's only really had a few ch- chances at it as the primary guy in this ver- version of his career and got them to the finals. He had a and the finals didn't work out and you know there was a lot a lot of that was on him but a lot of that was like Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green were just incredible they were historically great defensively in that series Gary Payton was amazing in that series he went up against a truly truly elite defense and they were elite they were one of the best defenses I've seen in my time covering the league and he was able to beat them last year as much of a mess as it was like if he didn't if he didn't land on David's ankle they might have gone to the finals again so it's like, I think he's doing well. I think Tatum is ahead of the curve for most players of his ilk in his history. I think he is at the level that you like, we're, we're really comparing him to like, for wings of his age, like Kobe Kawhi it was seen Kawhi even older than him when he finally broke through in Toronto. Um, you know, I got I, I wouldn't, I, I guess LeBron, I don't know, LeBron was just so far beyond anybody at his age. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like it takes guys seven years to win a championship. Usually, I think that's how it went for LeBron. I think it's how it went for MJ. Um, and it's, it's different like because,
0: but D Wade, like D Wade, was yeah.
1: just
0: like on a young D. Again, if anybody is is like not young enough to remember or not old enough to remember how good young D, D Wade was, like just go watch film. Man, he was unbelievable and a complete assassin. But to your point. Yeah. Like, He's the only one of the the slew of guys you mentioned that has a ring before the age of twenty six. Like Curry, Clay, KD, LeBron, all those guys. None of them have a ring before they were twenty five. It's 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 okay that Tatum hasn't won a title <laughs> yet. Like it's okay.
1: Yeah,
0: but I cut you off. Hey,
1: but- no, it's fine. And I, I think it also, we, we get so fixated on JT. We also have to include Jalen in the conversation. Like Jalen is also great. And I think that was one important thing that probably got overlooked from all the coverage that I saw of our interview was uh, like uh JT really acknowledging how important Jalen is for him and how Jalen's style of play and his mindset allowed Jason to, to be, have his. And it's, you know, we don't really like the, the Jays narrative thing of like, can they fit together? Like that's, that's gone now, thankfully. Cause I always, I always rallied against it. I always thought it was ridiculous mm-hmm. because of this really is that people would, people would see the way their games would overlap in like the late fourth quarter, but they also, they wouldn't really consider how their games complemented each other over the course of the first 44 minutes of a game. And I think this team just didn't have a crunch time offense that worked for the players that they had and now they do. So now you just don't really see this be an issue at all. Like they don't really. And also, it's like they've had enough time and they've matured and grown as individuals, skill set wise, mentality wise, all that. But now at the point that they can actually play together and actually like be comfortable with it. And I don't know if it's just like that their egos have dropped or they just understand like what it takes to actually be successful and be sustainable and make and like embracing, making their lives easy. And I think that's been a big theme this year is like they're embracing, making their lives easy because they have so much responsibility, but you're seeing now that they actually probably are the ideal pairing together. You probably would prefer to have these two guys together because of how fire and ice their different mindsets are. And so you know, J- Jason is is reliant on Jalen, and Jalen's reliant on Jason. And I don't think either of them could be as good without each other.
0: Wow, isn't that refreshing? Because it's like one of <laughs> these things that we've talked about for a kajillion years, it feels like. It's like, oh, you got to split them up. It's like, no, that's always been dumb. No matter how many times you say it, it's, it's, it's still going to be dumb. I do want to switch gears a little bit as we wrap up here uh, with something that you kind of teased in your, our text messaging to each other when we were talking about what we're going to outline the show with. And I know you have a piece coming out tomorrow, so I don't want you to actually go super deep into this because I want people to read your piece at the Athletic. I believe I, as I I watched a, a, a Shane Gillis uh, skit this morning on YouTube, and I had an Athletic uh, ad before my video started. I believe it's what's one seventy nine per month right now for the Athletic. By the way, everybody might want to that on. What it
1: is? that sounds right. That's actually yeah. that's really cheap. I'm surprised it's that cheap, but yeah, it's a pretty
0: good deal. Everybody, Jump hop on it. Hop on it hop on, on, on my story on Monday. You can, you can, you can catch this, uh, you can catch this great story coming out by Jared. You teased, uh, um, an idea about the way Joe sees basketball.
1: And let's say very figures. I don't want to tease the actual story, but go ahead. Um,
0: I just want to know a little bit about what you mean by that. Like, is there some, are we, is everybody, cause everybody, everybody likes to give Joe a hard time. Like, it, like, like he's some scrub coach or something like that. And it drives me nuts. It's like, no. He's won hundred games, yes, because he had a lot of talent. No question. But he also maybe, maybe knows a little bit about the game of basketball. So you you mentioned it slightly in this text. And I don't want you to go too far into it because I do want people to read this story. Because I I'm sure it's going to be incredible. And I, you have perked my interest. But for the for those of us out there that want a little taste, what do you what do you mean about that?
1: So I think the interesting thing with Joe, and we get into this in, in, in the future is he knew what he wanted to do with the team last year. But implementing his ideas, communicating his ideas, was challenging for a few different reasons. One, the obvious context of the whole thing and the the poor timing. Just like the situation was ridiculous and crazy and weird with with him replacing Imei. And then also just like it was so soon and it happened right when the season started. So we didn't have the time to implement it the way he wanted to. He was already into like handling the season mode. So it was hard for him to introduce his way of thinking. And then also he was very guarded publicly. He wasn't really himself. And so he has a very different way of seeing the game. Not that his thoughts on the game are different than most people he's about attacking cross matches and playing with tempo and making reads and doing a lot of the stuff that I think Rick Carlisle was doing for a long time. And especially like these last few years in Indiana, look at how he's reshaped Indiana. And I think Joe pulled from stuff like that and his other coaches, but Joe's influences don't come just from basketball the way that they do for a lot of other people. It comes from other sports. It comes from other walks of life. Um He's very, it probably mostly comes from the town, honestly, but he is, it's like my favorite storyline <laughs> this whole year is how much he loves the tech. It's incredible. It's incredible. Jo- <laughs> Joe, I think Joe, it took him a while to, to be like, I'm different. I'm a little bit more of a creative. I'm a little bit more focused on things outside of basketball, which isn't like a novel concept. Like that's been pop. Pop has been like, I forget, somebody told me recently something about, I was interviewing, I was doing some story that was li- related to pop, and they were like, I think they were talking about Kawhi Leonard. Maybe I heard them somewhere else. I can't remember. But they were like, yeah, Kawhi just like didn't want to learn European geography. So that's why he didn't really fit with the way Pop was ever, like everyone else did. I think it was like my right, D. White story. Maybe somebody mentioned that. But it's like, you know, Pop has his thing. He's trying to educate people on worldly matters and politics, stuff like that. Joe is, I mean, there's definitely a lot of that. But I think Joe just, he takes inspiration from things that aren't basketball in a way that maybe didn't translate for others who don't really think in that kind of eclectic manner. And it's really that vision is like really come through this year. I think he's done a better job explaining his rationale this year than he did last year, even though it hasn't changed dramatically. And a lot of that is that he's just not, he's not defensive and he doesn't feel guarded. He doesn't feel like he's kind of fighting to establish himself, but like he's established now. And the irony being that, he wasn't. I didn't think he was doing that great, great of a job coaching the team up until like the last three games of the conference finals last year, where he started doing all these things. I'm literally like hitting people up. I'm like, "Hey, he's like just different, right? He's changing there." And they're like, "Yeah, I can't believe he's like suddenly choosing now to start doing these things the way that we all like." And it's not that they're right; it's that we all agree this is probably the way, that we, or most of us agree it's probably the way it should be done. But I think once he kept the job and he didn't get fired, then it was like, okay, they believe in him. This was like kind of the worst case scenario and he got through it. And so now that gave him a level to settle into and you're just seeing the way he settled into it and you're seeing the way his personality comes out. And so this story, it's going to dive into both his personality and his inspirations and how he's found a way to bring that into the Celtics team and look at the results that we're getting.
0: The one thing I loved in that was the fact that he draws from other sports to, to, you know, impact his coaching. And the first thing that popped in my head was, I I believe it was like maybe the first or second year, but I'm pretty sure Spolstra talked about trying to emulate the Oregon Ducks in terms of like getting out in space and in transition and how effortlessly, when Chip Kelly was the head coach of Oregon, how effortlessly and how easily Oregon could make you look silly by just having so much speed in the field and spreading you out as far as humanly possible that guys were just running amok on teams in the Pac 12 or Pac-10 or whatever it was back when Chip Kelly was coaching Oregon. And he wanted to emulate that in transition with with the with the Miami Heat team with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. And I remember thinking, that's pretty different. That's pretty cool. That's pretty unique. And you look you think about Belichick, right? Belichick's always taking not just, you know, plays or concepts from other teams, whether it's pro or whether it's college. Also openly admitted the impact of, like, lacrosse on, on like, his life and how how big uh, that sport in terms of, you know, getting up and down and setting things up certain ways, like, how that can be different. Like, I, I love hearing that stuff because if you're so, so, like, one-track minded, you're not going to be able to adapt and evolve over time. Like, if you do the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again, Teams are going to pick up on that, and then you're going to have nothing else to go to. I love the fact that Joe draws inspiration from other places, including the town, but from other other things. Whether it's jujitsu, like for me, I did martial arts for 12 years and I took jujitsu a little bit, not a ton of it. I did mostly stand up, but like I I can't believe that more just athletes in general don't do that kind of stuff to understand like leverage and manipulation and how you can use someone's weight against them like i like that's like football i don't understand how every like defensive end like chandler jones is my like my classic example of this like chandler with his brother john i'm sure knew how to use weight and leverage more than most guys uh that played defensive end just because of that that martial arts background so like i, I do think it's good that joe draws inspiration What's I, I I don't want to get too far into this because I don't want to spoil anything, but I do have like a cajillion questions about what you mean by that in terms of like what's the weirdest place he draws inspiration from? Can you can you give us that little nugget?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, hmm. I don't even know how to answer that question. That's all right. I I I don't a... think that's. I mean, I feel like probably Jeremy Renner in the tablet would be the answer to that question.
0: That's awesome. I, th- I think there's a great story, or maybe it's a podcast, or you know maybe, and and this is maybe for somebody else to do. Like I want, like maybe Simmons to do rewatchables of the town, but with like Joe Missoula. <laughs>
1: just happened. that would be incredible. Like
0: I that would, would be amazing. I would. It's like Han Rosillo and Joe Mazula breaking down the town. I, w- I would die. <laughs> I would love that more than anything else. Um, but to, to, to go back to Joe's evolution, just very briefly, you saw that a lot in one, in the JJ Reddick interview at the beginning of the season. Like he just, yeah, yeah. he looked way more comfortable talking about being a coach and all the stuff that didn't work last year because he didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was his first year on the job. And so like once I heard that interview with JJ, I thought it was really awesome but i got to learn a little bit more about like joe's personality um and I, I i can't wait for this 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 piece to drop jared please tag everything where people can find you um especially this story coming up tomorrow
1: thank you yeah read me on the athletic and follow me on social jared weiss mba
0: that's it my man jared weiss the former host of the show co-host for today Appreciate your time. Make sure you subscribe to the Athletic. Again, Jared, at Jared Weiss NBA on Twitter or on X, whatever the hell we call it now. Uh, shout out to all you guys. Make sure you subscribe and follow me and follow this show on iTunes, on Spotify, on YouTube, all the places you can find us. Adam Kaufman will be back next, be back next week. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jared. Thanks for hanging out.